Hello, waffle lovers, and welcome to yet another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you, as always, from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. We're going to have a very baseball-centric program this week. It is the middle of June, and the Vikings are off and not doing anything uh, we'll touch on the links a little bit later, but baseball will be the focus here. I'm glad you decided to tune in and listen to our talking about Minnesota sports. Welcome to those of you who tune in each and every week here on Wednesday nights, and welcome to those of you who might be checking things out for the first time. I hope you'll enjoy things and want to come back for more. Sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. After this brief commercial break, I'll be back with my interview for this week, this week, it is Jeff Reese, legendary baseball coach here in Minnesota. Stick around. I'd like to welcome a new sponsor to the program this week. Brian Wayne and Wayne Farms have stepped up and become sponsors of Whatever Flips Your Waffle. And uh, Brian, a great supporter of local sports for our youth and everything. And all the Waynes have always been that way in my time here in the NRHEG area. Appreciate Brian and all the work that he does, and uh, all of our egg producers, all of our farmers in the area. We are a farming community, and uh, that's that's a big part of what happens in our school district, and, and a lot of parts of Minnesota certainly have that as well. And so, you know, the farmers are out there working hard, doing the best that they can, uh, and then we reap the benefits of that. We have the good food in our table all the time. And uh, these are the people, some of our unsung heroes that are out there. So welcome. Thank you to Brian and to Wayne Farms and all of our farmers in the area. Joining the program this week, we have Jeff Reese, high school baseball coach here in Minnesota. Uh, Jeff was a Richland Heartland graduate, came back to coach at Richland Heartland and then Richland Heartland, Ellendale, Geneva eventually. Uh, started coaching in 1979. And Jeff, welcome to the program. Great to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, you know, I really don't like doing this kind of stuff, but uh, <laughs> because it's you, I'll do it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, here on 365sportscast.com, uh, Jeff currently coaches with the Mankato Loyola Crusaders. And this past season, I know you don't want me to bring this up, but I will anyway, became the fourth all-time winningest coach in Minnesota. That's, what, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's longevity. I've been at about 40 years, and I've had some great kids, great parents, um, good support. It's been it's been a nice ride. Yeah, and I, when I was looking at the list of all-time winningest coaches, the three guys that are ahead of you, you'd have to coach an awfully long time yet <laughs> to catch. Those guys are legends. Yeah, Jim Sensky, he's got 700 and some wins, yeah. and, and uh, I think number one's got 800 and some yeah, wins. Bob. And, Karn, I think, yeah. Cloud. who I think is still coaching. Yes, he is. Fifty yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Longevity, but uh, it, it's a pretty big deal. I, you know, the people that are behind you, little ways. And when I looked on the list, and I thought, you know, I've known you since I started at NRHEG. Uh, you look at Tink Larson up the road in Wasika. Um, gotten to know him over the years too. Uh, I saw one of my old coaches, Bob Wire, on there from mm-hmm. New Ulm Cathedral, and Bob was actually a coach of mine in like youth baseball when okay. I was just starting out before he became a varsity coach. So um, a lot of familiar names and... And he's retired now. He's too. retired as well, yeah. So... Yeah. Well, most of the guys I I make fun of, I, I got to catch up, are either retired or dead, but not, not Bob Karn. <laughs> no. <laughs> or 
uh, Lowell Searcy. Yeah, right. He's still around. Yeah, P- plenty of plenty of big names on there. Um, I know the records don't really matter to you. It's a nice thing, but but what's the most important part about coaching for you? Oh, it's got to be the kids. I mean, you can't do it for the money. You know that. You right. Enough coaching and <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just fun to see the kids grow during a season. Like this last season, I had an awful young squad, and boy, did they get that learning curve high. I mean, they they learned a lot real quick. Um, and one of the neatest things too is uh, the guys that come back and see you. Last week I had my catcher from late 80s, I think. He went into the Air Force and he's still on their payroll, but he's on vacation. He, he lives in Montana maybe. But he, has a, he had a niece graduating from New Ulm. So he called and we visited for an hour. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, um, another one, Mark Horna, you know. Of course. Friend of mine. Um, yeah, that's the kind of thing that I enjoy more, and see how what they develop into as far as careers. Yeah, and you know most of them are successful. Right, I was thinking about that too. Um, I know at least a couple names of of kids who played ball for you who are coaches now. Mark Lee, of course, is the varsity coach here mm-hmm. at NRHEG. He played ball for you. Uh, Kevin Larson, yes. he was out of Minnesota. Yes. Um, I don't know if he's still I still coaching. Yeah, I think he'll. He's almost a replica of myself. I okay. Think <laughs> you know, he works on the field himself and uh, coaches during the summer. Um, that's another good connection there. Right. In fact, uh, I got my 500s win against him. Oh, okay. I didn't tell him. I just said, you know, Kevin, can I have that ball? Okay. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anybody else that I don't know of that's coaching that played ball for you? Oh, wow. Now I make you think about it, but yeah, <coughs> I'd have to think about it. Does, it. Yeah, I just I, I those two names popped to mind when I was mm-hmm. thinking about this, and um, I'm sure there's others at different levels, you know, younger different levels, levels or you know they coach their kids or whatever, right. and probably um, pull some drills that Jeff Reese ran <laughs> for them in high school too. Um, you never know. Uh, I saw something in the NRHEG Star Eagle this week, just appeared this week. Um, which seemed kind of coincidental as I was getting ready for this. So I'm going to bring it back a little bit. 50 years ago, in 1972, they had the flashback area. Um, Jeff Reese, co-captain of um, the school's first ever district champion baseball team. After 72 years, um, Richland won the district championship. Um, they didn't have the picture there. Yeah. but uh, 50 years. 50 years ago. <laughs> but you were part of the first, you know, kind of the, maybe right. the, the resurgence of baseball in Richmond when you played ball here. Well, people ask me, yeah, you know, why I got into it or who I thought was one of the better coaches I had. And you know, Mark, I had four different ones in college every day. Okay. And I still have to say, you know, Jim Clark, Stevens Point, Wisconsin, um, was a great one. But Russ Hefner, uh, he was my high school coach, and you know, discipline. And you did, did things right, and uh, you know I learned a lot from him. Okay. And Jim Simser, of course. Of course. Um, those guys were disciplinarians, and you did things right. Right. So. Yeah. What? Uh, so you you go back there and you think about that. Of course, things have changed a lot. It, is that the biggest change in how you coach 
you know, I mean, you still demand a certain level of discipline, but it's not go get your hair cut and all that kind of stuff. Yes, I know uh, kids, I think, down deep want discipline or need guidance because at home sometimes they don't get it. Right. But yeah, back back in the day, I'd have a, a playbook, um, discipline book, you know, no hair below, you know, your ears, yeah. collar, um, <laughs> clean shaven. Um, I remember one year, not that long ago, uh, one of that New Richland, one player came pretty scruffy. So I go, Mitch, I go, you got a razor in your duffel bag? <laughs> no, but I'll call my dad, he can bring it. <laughs> I, I told him not, not to bring any uh, lotion, just shave her off. Yeah, right. But he shaved before the game. And <laughs> wow, wow. I don't know if you get away with that. Yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, our coaches, when I was in high school, we'd get a one-day warning that would be, is your barber out of town? That was your cue. Yes, yes. Uh, you better get your hair cut the next day. It, it changes, and it's maybe it's for the better, maybe not. Who knows? Um, uh, you know, you, you can't necessarily um, yell at a kid as much. Um, sometimes you can. Some, I think it you get to know be. your kids, you know. Sometimes right. that, that works for some and yeah. not others. Yeah. I know I've not perfect. I've made a few mistakes throughout the years, and those still kind of bother me, you know. Mm -hmm. I didn't do the right thing for a kid, and uh, yeah. So, you know, you try and not be a, a buddy to the kids, but somebody that you can talk to. And um, as I got older, it was tougher, you know, because of the yeah. age spread. But I still have, you know, anybody that wants to come and talk, go ahead. Right. Um, with uh, all this vacation and AAU basketball, it, uh, it, it's tough. Um, <laughs> It's hard because summer used to be for baseball. Right. That period. You might go to an open gym. You might shoot around a little bit. And I got seven on seven football. You got basketball yeah. leagues. And even in the spring. Yes. It starts up. So. Yeah. It, it's no longer, and and it's a little tough for guys like me and you who baseball is a passion. Right. To say why, why would you do anything yeah. else <clears throat> during this time? What you know, I ask people this a lot, and and. I don't know if I've ever heard what the I don't know what the correct answer was. You know, if you, again, if you go way back when you you were a kid and started playing ball, um, what is it about baseball that's just so alluring to some of us at least? What, why is this the thing that we hang our hat on? Well, what hurts it I think is some people think it's slow moving game. You know, but I enjoy it. You know, studying everything and uh, I just fell in love with it. Up, you know, at New Richland here when they had the Pee Wees and Little League and. Uh, yeah. You just kind of grew up with your friends, and we played a lot of sandlot ball during the summer. You don't, don't see that anymore. No, no. You know, ride the bike into town. I lived a mile and a half out of town, ride the bike into town, and play almost all day, you know. Yeah. And now you don't see that. No. I just was thinking that yesterday I was driving through Ellendale, and I saw three kids outside in front of a house. I don't know what they, they were playing, they were running around, whatever. I thought, I don't see that much, you know. Um, every now and then I'll see some kids that run down to a ball field, play catch or whatever and I my heart feels a little bit like yay <laughs> Ray they do that uh, what was the feeling when you were able to come back to New Richland you know your hometown teach coach the, the stars just aligned or how did that you know come yeah, about I think it was a blessing I mean I think we have a great school district and um, at that time too we had great coaches and great athletic directors and uh, you know at first, when I was a senior here, I, I'll never come back. So <laughs> I want to spread my wings and go, you know. But 
the more you're away from it. Uh, and then some of the stories you hear from the coaches that you had. Right. That now are our colleagues. Right. <laughs> Probably get thrown in jail. <laughs> <laughs> I always hear the stories about the, the teacher's lounge. They'd open the door to the teacher's lounge and the blue smoke would smoke, just, yeah. just fly out of there. Everybody's smoking and stuff. Um, how weird was I mean, here you're with, now you're, you're working with the people that taught you, that coached mm -hmm. you. Coaching against guys who coached against you. Yeah. I, it gave, gave me a little bit more motivation, I think, because uh, you always want to do well and not make any mistakes. Um, you know, Waterville was always a, a rival, and so that was the one coach that I, you know, like, geared up a little bit more and right. stuff. But, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was different, but they accepted me really well, and, and uh, you know, there was no problems. Right. Well, that's good. Um, it there there was the the school mergers, you know, and, and the '80s and '90s were a heyday of that small schools. So you were a big part of that. And if my history mentor, uh, my wife, informs me correctly about how this worked, the Richland Heartland and then Ellendale Geneva joined together first in sports. Right. They yeah. were they were the yeah. big red. The big red. The big red yeah. <laughs> for things. How difficult was that to, you know, kind of, people who were your rivals, I mean, right. that was a pretty big rivalry, right. suddenly you're playing together. You know, I always think, uh, okay, we've got some good athletes, they've got some good athletes, you put them together, we're going to be pretty good. Um, you know, we, we always had to wait a little bit, I'd probably have to take the school station wagon and pick up, oh. you know, all the kids that <laughs> were practicing and stuff, so you got to know them a little better that way. but. They all kind of melted together. I mean, um, you know, to this day, some of them are the best friends. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the kids accepted it a little better. Although the adults, we didn't have that many problems. I mean, it was a good, good melt. Okay. And I've always wondered that, you know, it, how difficult I wasn't around at that mm -hmm. point. But um, I always thought too, the kids probably take that stuff. Whereas you have parents who maybe have a little more ingrained right. of we don't like these guys, they, you know. Well, I was uh, coaching basketball at the time at New Richland, and legendary Ted Pelzel was at Elmdale, and we were gonna join the next year, so we had a big get-together at the cafeteria in New Richland, we played them that night, and it wasn't a very pretty game, we won, and you know, walking in the cafeteria for, you know, milk and a donor or something, it was a little tense, you know. <laughs> I went in there and got your stuff and got out of there. But, you know, Ted, there's another one, too, that was a big influence. Uh, right. Yeah. And and so, you know, you say you were coaching basketball. And I know you also coached, you know, some, some football at different levels, too. Was there ever any any um, hard feelings about, well, hey, you know, Ted Pelzel is going to become the varsity boys basketball coach. You're going to be the varsity baseball coach. Just kind of all worked out. It did, you know. Well, in basketball, when you lose all the time, I was losing all the time. Oh. It was a big, big choice, but uh, yeah. But then I helped ninth grade. I had, I believe, yeah. But then I had boys coming up of my own and stuff. And, yeah. And I always thought that was kind of nice to be able to coach them, right? Um, and get some good memories that way. Yeah. That leads to the Quad City Baseball Association, which you helped found. Mm -hmm. You know, Mark Querna, Jeff Johnson. And some other people, and that kind of started as your boys were coming up, right? And that part of the motivation behind that? Yes, it was. Um, you know, they still had summer 
wreck and stuff. And um, but we wanted to get a bigger program started, uh, let them travel a little bit. Um, so yeah, and we had a lot of interested people, and so that went well. I mean, it, you know, my wife used to love the parents. You know, they used to get along so well too, and that's part of it too. Right, the kids and the parents. So yeah, always had to keep an eye on them. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Jeff Reese with us. Um, high school baseball coach in southern Minnesota. We're talking baseball, talking about youth baseball, um, Quad City Baseball Association, which still is going today. Um, it, it's it's passed passed on as, as you um, you know left left a good legacy there for, for some others to keep that going. And like you talk about, you know, keeping the parents involved mm -hmm. and finding people. We've got Aaron Gilland, who's the president of the now played ball for you. Um, he's got three boys of his own. It's the same type of concept. My yeah. kids are coming up. I want to make sure this is done right and give them the best opportunity. Yeah, yeah very seldom do you have a, a school, you know, coach. Even even in high school now, I think it's more, it's hard to find coaches for a lot more sports. That they right. Have. Um, back in the days, you had football. You know, when I graduated, the ladies didn't have any sports, so mm -hmm. it was just, you know, anytime you wanted a gym, you had it, you know. So, right, right. But uh, what a big change there. Well, yeah, it is, I mean, it's the 50th anniversary of Title IX this year. Okay. Yep. And, uh, you know, kind of everything burgeoning out of that, too. And, you, you know, gym space, you know, in the spring in mm -hmm. southern Minnesota, you're not outside on the first day of practice, no. usually, and there's that who's going to go where and track yes. and softball and baseball and... Yeah. Yeah. I hate to be the athletic director. I, I, you know, that's a lot of planning. And, uh, you know, we have it pretty nice at Loyola where it's just the softball and, and baseball. And, uh, you know, and Wendy Schultz is so easy to work with up here, too, you know. And, right. Um, she was uh, a real good colleague, you know. If um, they came earlier or something or we thought we had a little later, well, no big deal. You know, yeah. We'll loosen up all right here. Right. It's a small town. Everybody gets along. Right. You want everybody to do well, and mm -hmm. and um, you know, everybody works together in those things. Uh, Wendy Schultz, our varsity softball coach, um, still is mm -hmm. as well, and, and pretty successful there, too. Field maintenance. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't something you probably get asked about a whole lot, but mm -hmm. I, I know, you know, from from coaching under you and and helping take care of the ball field in Ellendale and sometimes over here in Richland, I learned the importance of how uh, how big a deal a nice field is. Okay. Right. This is a, I mean, in some ways it's a year-round job. Yes. I mean, the only time is maybe when it's snow-covered. And even there, sometimes, I still remember driving by the ball field on New Year's Day, heading to New Ulm, and I saw you out there working on the field one New Year's Day. Okay. Many years ago, um, <laughs> we didn't have much snow cover at the time, yeah. and you were just putting around out there. But I probably got kicked out of the house. That could be. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true, though. You, um, I always try to get my prep seventh period so I could, you know, get the field ready. And, and then uh, Dan Stork made a big difference, too. He started doing a lot of the work. But, you know, you, you do the work, and you think, uh, let's not, not doing it the right way here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, now I, I just show up. You know, right. <laughs> I don't drive the bus anymore. I don't keep the book. Uh, the field is taken care of. You know. So. But I'm sure it's immaculate. Oh. As well. 
um, I guess that's a good word to use about a Catholic school too if it's yeah. immaculate but yeah. um, they have a lot of volunteers that come and you know mow and do things but you know we play at ISG it used to be Franklin Roger and that's all maintenance by the city or you know artificial turf turf field yeah, yeah. yeah. which takes a lot of maintenance too that's not just yeah walk out there and play yeah. even though you're not supposed to choose sunflower seeds you always <laughs> find a few there <laughs> <laughs> i suppose they've got a that's a, a special cleaning mechanism yeah. to do that compared to all the seeds you would see on a, oh, on a normal baseball field sucks up the moisture it, it, <laughs> <laughs> it, you know and and the the field here in the richland um, you know, it's so low and a kind of swampy ground and you faced over the years a lot of difficulties with, you know, all of a sudden the skies would open up for about five minutes while game's off, there's yeah. nothing you yeah. can do about it. And, and a lot of work's been done, it's not as bad anymore, no. but... Um, and we got it tiled out more, um, got new red rock in, and um, yeah. I mean, you can't fight the, I think 2010 and 2016 we had nine, ten inches and right. all that water west of town or east of town comes through the Richland. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was a mess. The, the century floods that right. we had yeah. twice in a decade. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it is, and it's, you know, the, the, when the fields look nice, I always wonder how many people appreciate the little things of that until you see a bad hop somewhere, until you see yeah. this or that, yeah. which is inevitable no matter how much work you do on a field. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to have stuff like that. Um, you stepped back from coaching when your wife Carol passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a tough time, of course, but what brought you back then? What was it that you know you decided to, to head up to Loyola, resume your coaching career? A couple things. Uh, first, I needed to get myself motivated again. So you know that was a you know we plan. We we're both so active that you know thirty some years that we were married, yep. we saw each other once in a while. So yeah. <laughs> when she retired and I retired and. 2013, yeah, we thought, well, we'll, we'll do some traveling and, and you know, get that stuff, get to know each other again. Right, and, yeah. And then that summer she got diagnosed you know, with cancer and uh, she's a tough lady. She hung in there for 19 months, yeah. pancreatic cancer. Right. And uh, it's not pretty, but uh, um, tough, she was tough. But yeah, I just need to get motivated and get going again. And then um, my nephew, um, be her brother's son, was a ninth grader at Loyola. And uh, so it'd be kind of fun to coach that bunch. They had a real good, for a smallest school it was, like 25, 30 kids a class. Yeah. His class had nine or 10 out, you know. Right. They'd been playing all the way along. And we had a good year as junior year, and then we got one week of practice in, and COVID hit. COVID hit, yeah. yep. <laughs> Yeah, because you had a good team ready that year. That right. was probably going to be a, yes. you know, make a little run with yeah. that group. Yeah. And feel bad for those kids because they, they still talk about it a little bit. Yeah, but what might have been. Yeah. After that, you got the baseball field here in the Richland named after you and Carol, and you you really requested that. You know, Carol was so important. So it's Jeff and Carol Reese Field, and I always take some pleasure when I get a chance to announce to welcome people to Jeff and Carol Reese Field. Yeah. Um, why was that so important to include Carol in well, that? Well, she was part of the program coming up uh, when I first started, you know, and I, I probably might be a little prejudiced, but she's, she's, she's a looker. <laughs> and so she kept book for me the first few years and the best recruiter I had. Uh, yeah. 
some of the kids that come back say, yeah, that's one of the reasons we came out for baseball. Said, <laughs> 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 well, so I think that might be, I have never heard of another field that had the wife and husband. So that's kind of cool. Right. Yeah. But she always knew where I was if I wasn't at home. Um, and she understood some, most of the time. Right, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, she always said the ballpark looked better than our yard. Probably did. <laughs> and you know, the the life of a spouse of a coach, whether you know it's a wife or a husband, they just that's a, a difficult role accepting. Um, they deal with the good and the bad too and, and um, you know, after you lose a ball game come home and aren't in the best of moods. Yeah. Um, they they figured out how to Yeah. And you know, at games too she liked to sit by herself because you know, some of the stuff I think parents say for her to hear, but you know, not directly. Right. And that got to her a little bit, so she always kind of tried to sit by herself. Yeah. And still be there right. to support, especially when the boys played yep. uh, ball free and everything, too. One time I'm glad she wasn't there <laughs> was uh, against Loyola. The only time I got tossed from the game. <laughs> And it still bothers me. Um, I was thinking of that this morning. I thought, I think that's the only time you got ejected. Yeah. Ironically, against the team you would go on to coach for right, you know, years right. later. But that was basically for the Gopher Conference yes, title at the time. Yes, it was. And I had a good squad, about eight or nine seniors. All of them started. Um, ben, my nephew, he basically caused it. He's a smart kid. Yeah. We had a double play ball, and um, I think it was... Lasan did not David. slide or get out of yeah. the way. I thought he did veer out. You know, you're supposed to veer out. Right. And my nephew kind of, you know, did one of these and, you know, and he got the call, a double play. And we had a runner on third that would have gave us the lead. But, but then we uh, got it back in the bottom of the seventh and uh, bases loaded two outs. Matt Dolly was up, full count. And he said, Coach, I just froze on that one. It was right down the middle. Ball four. Oh. <laughs> So we went on a walk off, and their catcher got kicked out of it. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Things you remember. Well, you know? my wife, too, sometimes says, how do you remember the littlest details from some game from 15 years ago, yeah. uh, and you can't remember what you had for supper right, last night? Right, but, yeah. um, you know, that group, I, that group I remember especially because I coached them as well in middle school, and you had, like, nine seniors that year. Yeah. And what I was always amazed by was your ability to keep kids in baseball. They knew that if they played ball for you, you're gonna give them a chance. Baseball's a hard sport to sub in. Yeah. Like, you sub somebody, well, they're in, this isn't like basketball where you can go in and out and everything, right. they're really specific rules, so. But those kids always knew, hey, Coach Reese's gonna give me a chance at some point, um, but I'm gonna buy into the team concept. Somehow that always, you know, nine seniors, yeah. and granted, you could probably put all nine on the field and start them that year. Did, yeah. yeah. Um. I, I'm senior-led. I mean, if they were in the program all the way up, and then also maybe there's a 10th grader that's about the same, I'll give the shot to the senior. Right. Um, where if you gave the shot to the 10th grader, the senior might say, it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. And nowadays, they probably just quit. You know? I think so. And, it, you know, it seems like in boys' sports compared to girls' sports, what I've seen, kids traditionally didn't get pulled up quite as soon. Mm -hmm. and maybe they just weren't physically ready. Um, mm -hmm. Girls tend to mature a little bit quicker. Um, but I rarely recall you, uh, I don't think you ever pulled 
anybody from our junior high program up to the high school um, that they weren't ready anyway. Um, and a pretty rare occasion where a freshman or sophomore might earn a starting gig unless they were really exceptional. Um, when we were at our highest, I think, you know, junior and senior varsity, we had a 10th grade uh, B squad, we had a 9th grade team, an uh, 8th grade team, and a 7th grade mm -hmm. team. Uh, and uh, now it's, uh, well, I have an 8th grader that started a short for me. Right. Um, and what, you know, he did a wonderful job. When I first got hired at Loyola, they told me I'd have a, a eighth grade catcher. I said, "There's no way." <laughs> but this kid, who's a brother to the shortstop now, okay, um, and he proved me wrong. And really? He ended up being an all-state senior now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And catcher, you know, I used to say, "Give me a pitcher who throws strikes, a catcher who keeps in front of him, and a first baseman who makes his infielders look good, and you're going to win a lot of ball games." Right. Yes. So to have an eighth grader. As a catcher on varsity is really impressive. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's you know he made some mistakes and stuff, but man, he, but there again, his his dad worked with some all all the way up. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, was, the funny thing is, towards the end of the senior year, he didn't play catch; he played third base. Oh, because we had a, a catcher transfer in that was pretty darn good. Okay, so. okay, <laughs> we're here with Jeff Reese. Um, Fourth most winning baseball coach in the state of Minnesota history. Uh, talking a lot of baseball, you, I'm thinking when you talk about catchers, um, I've known a lot of really good catchers that have come through the program here in New Richland. I think about the um, the Churchill brothers. Um, I think about Jake Stallo. Uh, Matt Dolly was a good catcher, um, and that you know, there's a lot of lot to that position. It, again, along with having pitchers who throw strikes and mm -hmm. stuff, but. Boy, when you have those good, I bet you could link some of your better teams to having yes. a solid backstop. Well, I always say the catcher's the only one looking out, you know. Right. Um, and they've got to be a leader. And we've had some great ones. Like I mentioned, the, um, the Air Force um, ball player that came back last week, and he was a, a good catcher. Um, a Thomas Getzkow. And not Tom, a very... We'll just say Gesco. Gesco. <laughs> what a what a great catcher he was, and he went into the service and did real well. Um, Troy Antwistle. Um, yeah, and then you mentioned Jake, and then even uh, Matt Dolly. They kind of interchanged a little bit. Yeah. And we were talking about you know bringing younger guys up. You know Matt Dolly was not that good of a ball player in yeah. junior high. <laughs> right. But he pro progressed and uh, became one of the better catchers. So. Well, it's just like any any activity, sports, of course. But if you work hard at it, and right. if you're motivated, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can you can do a lot of great things. Yeah. And um, yeah, he was he was a great example that we have a lot of kids like that who, hey, I, I want to get better because again, it's hard to get on the field uh, and play a lot in baseball right. unless you're a starter. So I've got one catcher that I mentioned named Eddie Peterson rough nosed kid um, and he loved to win very competitive and uh, that's when I was driving bus and we'd gone to water and lost a tough one by the time the hit was seek I could hear guys starting to giggle and laugh a little bit and Eddie always sat right behind me and he he got up at Otisco turned around <laughs> and said some words that I wouldn't even say at the truck stop right <laughs> but I let it go you know, I said, you know. yeah he was a leader on the team. Right, right. Yeah. Do you, do you find that it's 
harder and harder to find leadership um, from these kids or they find their way through? I think it's a little harder. I mean, uh, I look at my granddaughter's softball team. You know, she had seven seniors on her team this year and no one that would really take charge or, you know, mm -hmm. maybe holler. You can't holler all the time because then the kids kind of always but when when you do, they kind of know that hey, this is serious. Right. But yeah, they're. I think they're harder to find. I don't know why. Huh? And maybe people don't want somebody to follow either. I mean, it used to be, you know, your captains were were picked and mm -hmm. and they were your leaders, and um, you know they probably had leadership qualities, also had some talent, so people could respect both sides of that. I, right. I don't know. You, you better be able to you know back it up. Right. Yeah. Um, when you think about strategies, um, I, like I learned a few plays from you as a coach. Uh, Fresno comes to mind. Uh, <laughs> the old uh, step off the rubber, fake the throw to first, pretend it got by the first baseman, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, but and, and those are little plays you pull out every now and then. But general strategy, you know, to, to prepare a, a successful baseball team. How do you go about you doing that? You have to have pitching, play good defense. And I still like to bunt there. High school ball, you won't have the, the long ball that much anymore. So you right. play small ball. And before we go out the field, before every game, I say, okay, guys, you know, we pitch well, we play defense, make the routine plays, and we bunt well, and you figure we're up two zip already before the game starts. And I, yeah. they kind of buy into it. Right, right. But bunting is gone. It's, it's <laughs> tough. I mean, it's a hard thing because you are you're giving yourself up right. quite often yeah. um, for the betterment of the team, and, and that's a hard pill to swallow. And but. yet it's remarkable how many times the pitcher fields it on the third base side and he throws in the right field. They, they don't really practice that much. Either. Yeah. Well, that is one thing you can work on a little bit when you're stuck in the gym. Uh, right. Pitcher's right. fielding practice, yeah. bunting you can work on mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, but you're right the, with the with the changes in bats and the different bat rules. Um, people aren't launching them over the fence, right. uh, not on any sort of regular basis. That's that's not going to happen. Um, I always used to think too. And I think this is something I got from you as well. Understanding situational baseball. Like when I'm on base, what am I going to do if it's hit in the air? If it's hit on the ground? Right. Same as a fielder. Yeah. What am I going to do? Where are the runners right yeah. now? And we still stress that. I mean, usually got about 20 seconds between each pitch. Think about what you're going to do, especially mm -hmm. on defense, what's going to happen. And that's uh, going to be a pet peeve of mine and my assistant coach, too. Uh, you know, you got to think ahead. Right. Um, and I think that's we've been successful at that. I mean, if another team tries something, oh, we've seen that already, too, you know. Yeah. Um, because we did it ourselves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you got got different different situations, and the kids are, are always ready. Yep. How do we keep kids interested in baseball? The numbers decline. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not what it used to be. The idea of, uh, like you said, your granddaughter's softball team had seven seniors. That seems unusual. Mm -hmm. um, that year you had nine seniors here in Richland. Uh, that doesn't happen. I think there were four this year. That's about an average number, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I had one this year um, and three juniors. Um, I think you'd have to make it more enjoyable for them. Uh, make practice a little more fun and moving. I'm one that, you know, 
let's see, we got 10 minutes for this drill. I blow the whistle, you got 10 seconds to get to the other one. And I always told them, you know, that 10 seconds that we have, other teams are probably walking and 20 seconds and during a whole season that adds up to a lot more practice. Right. But I've got kind of lenient on that too. <laughs> <laughs> Things change yeah. as you go. Well, like you said, you used to have uh, the varsity and then the B squad, the ninth grade, eighth grade, seventh grade. Now, um, even some of the bigger schools don't have a ninth grade. Right. Uh, a lot of teams in the Gopher Conference, I know when they play junior high, they have enough for one team, seventh and eighth grade total. And that to me is a little bit of a shame. It's it's hard, and, and having coached seventh grade for a lot of years, there's a big jump between seventh and eighth grade oh, yeah. in ability okay. because just yeah. bigger and stronger. Sure. Um, and I always think, ooh, that's gotta be kind of tough. But, yeah. you know, the kids that want to uh, will keep yeah. keep at it. And if, you know, they've got friends on the team, that helps too. And, uh, uh, yeah, you gotta make it enjoyable and I always told myself I'd never recruit, you know, if I have to recruit, that means they, they're not interested anyway. But, yeah. Um, a little different now. Right, yep. You, uh, you get to watch a lot of your grandkids play ball. Well, every, every night, I mean, tonight I go to Lake Mills. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and now my granddaughter is done, but then she's uh, got two little brothers coming up, so St. Peter and Lake Mills. Um, <laughs> and they're about the same distance. Okay, so, okay. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of fun. It can be painful sometimes, the real little ones. You yeah, know, right. Swing this, swing this, swing right. this. The outfielder doing cartwheels or something. <laughs> <laughs> Digging in the sand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I always thought, too, when my kids came through, that I, I couldn't coach them in, like, t-ball and stuff. I had to wait till they were at least third, fourth grade before. Yeah. I, I just, no, yeah. no. It, it was <laughs> it was difficult. But, but you, it's remarkable how they progress. Yeah. Well, you've been help, help coach your granddaughter Lily's softball yeah. team for a while. That had to be a little bit of a change. Softball has a lot of differences than baseball. Well, the best story I can tell there is my first game, I think it might have been fifth graders or sixth graders. Okay, we went to our spots, and all of a sudden, they started to cheer. <laughs> and I got, you know, someone stole the base, and I made a siren sound. Yeah. You know, so, so-and-so stole the base, yeah. here comes the cops. Yeah. <laughs> doing we enjoy this yeah okay yeah sometimes i i when when my daughter played softball i thought i would the, the kids the teams who cheered the most did those things tended to not be quite as good at the game of softball they yeah. spent maybe more yeah. time on that than uh, but now you watch the college world series they're all oh. doing different things and yeah and, so. and of course they're high level athletes who right, right. do some uh what i see the one team had like eight home runs in one game and uh, in, in the women's in the softball college world wow. series that, yeah. that's unbelievable yeah. that's that's good stuff so so you'll get to ke- keep watching your grandkids uh play ball and right. and i'm sure offer a few tidbits of advice when asked well, and when needed and my son does a lot of the in lake mill he does a lot coaching out during the summer and he gets frustrated once in a while <laughs> he might call and say you know so-and-so has got such a bad uppercut what do we do but and even those rules have changed um, I know when I first started, if you're popping up, you got to get that back elbow up, yeah. level off. Yeah. But then you think about when you swing, the first thing that happens, the elbow drops down and it makes it worse. But, or somebody hollering from the crowd, just throw strikes. Yeah. Well, he, he's trying. <laughs> he's trying know? to do that, yeah. <laughs> so in conjunction with that, I'm sure you've been asked this a lot over the course of the last year, how much longer can you coach? 
how much longer do you you just kind of year to year sort year of thing? Yeah, my uh, my physical health is kind of down right now with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, neuropathy, AFib. Uh, I got some bad blood. And, got <laughs> yeah, so I've got two great, well, three actually great coaches right now, and I basically drive my pickup up to the dugout, get out, talk to the guys and then sit on the bench, and then once in a while I'll get up and stuff. And okay. They, they run the practice. Yeah. Um, mentally, they might think I'm not all there sometimes, but I do that on purpose. Okay. Make, make them think a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but you just keep on going as long as you can. I know your passion for the game will yeah. keep you involved in one way or the other. Yeah. So it's, it's still fun. I mean, uh, um, to see the kids celebrate and stuff, you know, it's just... Uh, Know, and they come back years later and yeah, coach, remember that play? And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether you do or not, you do. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, building the memories, um, creating those good times for the kids. So, uh, Jeff Reese, thank you so much for joining us on whatever flips your waffle. Appreciate that and uh, and everything you've done for baseball in the area and continue to do so. Well, I hope it was interesting, Mark. Like I, I say the only way I do it is you know you were the interviewer. So I appreciate you. that. All right, thank you. It was great sitting down and talking to Coach Reese. Jeff was one of the first people that welcomed me when I arrived in the NRHEG School District. He was a great mentor to me as I coached in his program for many years and uh, continues to be such a great leader in the world of baseball. Uh, glad he took some time with us, and good luck to Coach Reese going forward as well. And now it's time for the State of Minnesota Sports. Well, it's much of the same when we talk about the Minnesota Lynx uh, each and every week, they sit in last place in the WNBA worst record overall, uh, three and thirteen. As I'm recording this, I, the the thing is, and we we talk about it, there are a lot of teams that make the playoffs in the WNBA, and technically they're only three games out of a playoff spot. Um, still, and they're close to halfway through their through their season, but. Um, anything can happen. They, they, they go and play the Aces, the best team out of Las Vegas, and give them a real run, but just can't seem to close things out. And that, that's kind of, you know, when they do play well and are in a game, they have a hard time doing that. Uh, we'll continue to track the links. Uh, things don't, just, just don't look good this season. And, and um, I wonder if they're regretting a little bit. If you look back at the draft, they traded their draft picks thinking they had the nucleus they needed that they wouldn't really need to start building a little bit. Well, that looks in retrospect like not a great thing. They could have used some some young blood in there maybe to start on their way. The Timberwolves, on the other hand, uh, as you're listening to this, are one day away from the NBA draft. They hold the number 19 pick, as uh, we talked about last week. And a lot of options they can go... Uh, New general manager Tim Conley has come out and said, you know, he's kind of a best available talent guy. And so if they don't trade that pick, he's looking at who's the best available. Now, he, he qualified that a little bit by saying, hey, if, it, if we're kind of close on a couple of guys, then we look at what do we need a little bit more? Where's our area of need? Um, you know, somebody in the backcourt that can rebound somebody who can handle the ball a little bit, distribute. You know, they'll look at those kind of things and really determine. So the Timberwolves, he feels, are sitting in a really good place. He said they're going to get a quality player if they draft there at 19. And again, I'm sure the phones are ringing a little bit 
and uh, and we'll see kind of where where they go. They also have some second round picks, you know, people that you might stash in the developmental league and uh, and see how they kind of work out and and you just look for that diamond in the rough in that stage. But the Timberwolves are an exciting team now again. And again, we're going to hope this is more than just a, a one-year flash in the pan, but I think that they're really going all in now by paying Connolly as GM. Chris Finch has been extended as the coach. Players love him. Um, you know, Cat has the option to do one of those Supermax extensions. I think you'd be foolish not to give that to him. He's one of those all-NBA players that you want to have on your team. And he fits in really well with this group of players. And as he grows, you know, even more experienced, uh, kind of grizzled veteran as the years go by, I think he'll be worth every penny if they if they give him that. So next week, I'm sure we'll sit here and we'll talk a little bit about uh, the NBA draft and what the Timberwolves did or didn't do. And um, we'll see kind of as the free agency market's going to open up, uh, what some of their targets might be after the draft and all the little dominoes that start to fall with that. As for your Minnesota Twins, as you are listening to this, they are in Game 2, starting Game 2 of their crucial series against the Cleveland Guardians. My hope is that as we're listening to this, the Twins have a two-game lead and are not tied for the division lead. Uh, this is such a big deal, and you, you read about it, and you hear about it. Eight games against the Cleveland Guardians over the next 10 days. They play a doubleheader in there, a five-game series over in Cleveland. And the last time the Twins had a five-game series on the road, we know what happened when they went to Detroit. Now, when they played the Guardians earlier this year, they took two out of three at Target Field. The Twins play better at home, as most teams do. And really, things are set up really nicely pitching-wise. When you looked at Tuesday night, uh, it was Joe Ryan. I uh, didn't pitch so great the last time coming off the COVID list, but Joe Ryan for the Twins against Aaron Savali, who's also coming off the injured list for the Guardians with a finger issue. Uh, tonight, as you are watching and listening to me at the same time, I hope uh, the Twins have Sonny Gray. He's been so stellar for the Twins, and you just hope that you know injury-wise he stays healthy. He's an innings eater. Um, he's got a great ERA, and he's going against Tristan McKenzie. And then Thursday, the Guardians throw Zach Plesak, uh, who's better than his record indicates. And the Twins have Devin Smeltzer, who had a terrible, terrible game down in Arizona. And it's one of those things where Smeltzer's been pitching so well that you think, well, oh my gosh, what just happened here? Yeah, every pitcher has those games. Okay, Cy Young had those games. Roger Clemens had those games. Sandy Koufax had those games. Everybody has them. And Devin Smelter certainly is not in their realm, but he has pitched very well, uh, and that'll be a Thursday afternoon game. And like we've said all along here, take two out of three, take two out of three. The Guardians are a good team. If you look on at the end of May, uh, the Twins had a seven-and-a-half game lead in the division over the Guardians and down to one when they meet here. The Guardians have been red hot, and they've been doing a mixture. They've been pitching very well. They've been hitting the ball, and it's not smacking it out of the ballpark. They string together hits and score runs, and that's what the Twins kind of lack. They get these games where they just go and put up big numbers in one game against Arizona and then can't get the hit hits when they are needed. When you look at box scores for the Twins, quite often they are close in the same number of hits as the team they are playing in these games that they lose, but they're just not putting the hits together in a fashion which they can score runs. Hey, you're, you get a, a leadoff single and nothing happens. You get a double with one out and nothing happens. 
So that inconsistency, you know, as we look ahead toward the uh, trade deadline at the end of July, there's a lot of talk about the Twins adding pitchers, and they need pitchers. There's no doubt in my mind that they need pitching. They could use, I'll say they could use another starting pitcher, uh, Montas from Oakland. His name is always out there. Uh, I say if he's available for the right price, you go get him. But they need bullpen help as well, especially the way that Major League Baseball works and the way that Rocco Baldelli works as manager. Uh, you know, the fact that Dylan Bundy redeemed himself a little bit and threw eight innings, that's the longest the Twins pitcher has gone the whole season. But for a Twins pitcher to get into the seventh inning is unusual. Um, I think Bundy was perhaps pitching for his job. And uh, he really came out and shown. So maybe we pull the reins back a little bit. But you have to look at the Twins rotation and say, hey, Josh Winder's coming back as well. Are you going to put him back in? Are you going to use him as a long relief guy? What are you going to do with him? Uh, But if you add a Montas to the mix, it gives you a lot more flexibility. And there's always looming out there. Kenta Maeda, he's working hard to come back in August or September this year. And as I was reading a little bit this week about his efforts and his comeback. And they made reference to when he was with the Dodgers and uh, a couple of years they brought him out of the bullpen in the playoffs and he pitched really well out of the bullpen. Well, maybe, especially coming back from such a serious arm injury, maybe pitching an inning out of the bullpen at a time is the place for Kenta Maeda when he comes back. So he's sitting out there. So when you keep that in mind, you think about some of the depth that the Twins have with their starting pitching. Maybe you go get another bat. I, I don't know where you where you put that in. The problem when you follow a team so closely is you sit here and you love all your players a lot of the time. And you think, hey, this guy and this guy and this guy, and where would we put this? But if you have somebody who can come in there and be just a little bit more consistent, can be, well, I don't know if anybody can be Luis Arise-like the way that he's been playing this year. you know. But our other guys, you know, uh, Ryan Jeffers, is up and down. Gary Sanchez, uh, Gio Urshela, I think, has been a little more consistent than people thought he would be. Uh, Polanco's on the injured list right now. Uh, probably a good thing to get his back taken care of uh, and the issues he has there. But there, there's a lot of things that can still flow. And I, I saw a poll earlier this week that talked about um, who, who would you trade? Like if you had to trade somebody that's on the major league roster right now, and Jose Miranda's name came up, quite a bit. Uh, the idea that he's, he's been playing much better lately uh, and maybe he's your future at third base, but if he's what it takes to get a piece that you think can move you through the playoffs a little bit more, uh, maybe you do that. You have a lot of flexibility of a lot of guys who can play a lot of spots. You have Urshela under team contract for one more year. Uh, I like Urshela. Some of these advanced stats don't show him doing uh, nearly as well as Josh Donaldson, who we traded away in part to get him. Uh, but there's there's a lot of metrics that that don't go into um, what it, what how it impacts the clubhouse and everything else. It's kind of like uh, those of you who know me as a teacher know how much I hate standardized testing and the idea that standardized tests don't show the ability of a student really well. Um, sh- show me their daily work. Show me the things that they do that impact my classroom in a positive way, and I'll show you something that's much better than a standardized test, just like some of these advanced metrics also. By the time we meet again, we'll be still talking about the Guardians because the Twins will be in the midst of their that five-game series, uh, and we'll just have to see what happens when we get to there. 
And that is the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for this week in Minnesota sports history. On June 22nd in 1970, Rod Carew suffered a serious knee injury while trying to turn a double play against Milwaukee. He would come back very late in the season and really not be able to contribute much in that playoff year. You'll find out it's kind of a Rod Carew week here in Minnesota sports history. On June 22nd in 1984, Carl Polad became CEO of the Twins, bought the team, Depending on your sources, he paid either 32 or $36 million for the Minnesota Twins. Pretty sure um, that that's been a good investment for the Polad family over the years. On June 23rd in 1961, Cookie Lavaghetto was fired as manager of the Twins in their first year here in Minnesota. He was replaced by Sam Mealy. On June 23rd in 1987, the Twins traded for Dan Schatzader, a relief pitcher. One of those people you don't think about a whole lot when you think about the 87 World Series champions, but he was an important part of the bullpen. On June 23rd in 2020, Major League Baseball and the Players Association finally agreed on the rules of a shortened 60-game season that would begin in about a month toward the end of July. They'd have some spring training for a couple weeks, although it was July when they got together, so I guess summer training. Uh, during the COVID times, a lot of rules were in place. Some still are in place to some degree um, as we navigate around all that even two years later. On June 24th, in 1949, my dad was born. Happy birthday, Dad. In 1955, on June 24th, Harmon Killebrew hit his first career home run off the Detroit Tigers, even though it was a loss for the Washington Senators. On June 24th, in 1972, my parents were married. That's right, Dad got married on his birthday. Happy anniversary to my parents. 50 years, golden anniversary. A big celebration in the works for that. Quite an accomplishment. On June 24th in 1984, the Twins won in walk-off fashion in a strange way. Tim Tuffle hit a three-run inside the park home run for a 3-2 win over the Chicago White Sox. When you think about an inside-the-park home run, you probably don't think about the way this one occurred. It was a blooper into right field and then bounced over the head of the right fielder all the way back to the wall. Tuffle had some speed. And the White Sox complained afterwards. Of course, the, the Metrodome was still relatively new, very bouncy down there, and there was a lot of complaints about what a joke that playing surface was, and, and really it was. They changed out the turf. Um, it was at some point in the mid-'90s. I still have... Uh, parts of the old turf here. I've got. I made had some uh, some cup holders um, made out of it, and they sit down here in my office and some other places. And it it was it was not good. The stuff they replaced it with was better. Kind of had that when it was new, you'd see like the the tire shavings bounce up out of there. Um, it wasn't quite as springy as the old stuff was. Quite quite as hard underneath there. On June twenty fifth in nineteen sixty four. The Twins signed Rod Carew to an amateur free agent contract. On June 25th in 2015, Carl Anthony Towns became the number one overall draft pick by the Minnesota Timberwolves in the NBA draft. Important player for the Wolves even today. On June 26th in 1964, Jerry Arrigo pitched the Twins' first ever one-hitter in a 2-0 win over the White Sox. And coincidentally enough, on June 26th, in 1985, 21 years later, Ken Schramm pitched the first one-hitter 
for the Twins at the Metrodome. But even with that, they needed a two-run walk-off hit by Roy Smalley, pinch-hitting, to secure the 2-1 to victory over the Royals. On June 26th in 1994, Kirby Puckett passed Rod Carew on the Twins' all-time hits list with 2,088. So there you go. Rod Carew to start, Rod Carew to end. And as I mentioned last week, the local Richland, Heartland, Ellendale, Geneva sports scene is done. A lot of kids doing a lot of summer activities. You can go on ball fields and see baseball and softball games uh, just about every day of the week. Uh, there's a lot of basketball leagues going on. I know there's some seven-on-seven football leagues, and before you know it, we'll talk about fall sports, but let's not get there too quickly. Well, that'll do it for another helping of waffles here at 365sportscast.com. Glad you joined us. Hope you enjoyed things, and we'll continue to tune in each and every week right here at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central on Wednesday nights. If you can't catch the original broadcast, you can go to 365sportscast.com for the full replay schedule. Also remember, I archive all shows to YouTube. You can go back and find plenty of our previous shows. Check out the interviews on there and all the other ramblings and prognostications if you've got feedback if you think you might make a good interview on the show please email me waffleflipper22 at gmail.com or message me on twitter at mr d1973 we'll be back next week with some more minnesota sports action where will the twins be after some crucial games against the cleveland guardians will the links even be relevant and worth talking about I'll have another special guest to delve into all that and more. Thanks again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.